All right, we're going to talk about uh, Philippians 3, 12 through 16, and we've entitled the message, Finish Strong. And uh, for the last couple of Sundays now, uh, we've been on the subject of true salvation, true righteousness. I call it grace righteousness because it comes to us as a gift. It comes through faith. And, and Paul contrasted this grace righteousness with works righteousness, and I call it self-works righteousness. Some people call it self-righteousness because it's based on what man thinks he can do to please God. But in the end, it's like monopoly money. It looks good in this earthly game, but when we get to heaven, uh, it's not recognized as legal tender in heaven. Works righteousness doesn't work. I think it was Adrian Rogers, who summarized it this way, and he just got it right down to the, the, the very point. He said, there are only two religions. One is summed up with the word do. Do this, do that. And it's an attempt by men to earn heaven. Uh, or don't do this, or don't do that. But the other religion is summed up with, with the word done. There's either the do religion or the done religion. And Jesus has done it for us. Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished, it is paid in full, it's done. Uh, he's accomplished salvation for us. He purchased pardon for us on Calvary's tree. And, and so, uh, you know, that's, that kind of distills all of the distinctions and all the different weird religions that are out there. And they just all boil down to those two options. I like simple things. I don't know about you. You know, I'm just not one of these tech guys that likes pushing a, a bunch of buttons. And if you push one in the wrong order, you get to start over again. You know, I, I like it simple. Keep it simple, silly, right? I think it was Adrian Rogers. This week I was listening to him on the radio. And he said something that really caught my attention. He said, love is not... Giving people what they deserve, love is giving them what they need. Wow, that really boils it down to how we're to live. Love is not giving people what they deserve. We often think about what that person deserves. You know, I'm going to give it to them. But no, love is giving people what they need. I, I want to move on in our study of Philippians, and we're going to move on to Paul's main goal in life. And it was the way that he would operate in life, and he, and he encouraged us, all of us, to have the same goal, to have the same approach to life that he had. And we're going to read Philippians 3, 12 through 16. I'm reading it from the New International Version. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you only let us live up to what we have already attained. What did Paul say? He said, this one thing I do. He didn't say, 
these six or seven things I do, or these 10 or 12 things I do. He said, this one thing I do. And he was focused totally on his goal. He concentrated on the overarching endeavor of life, the purpose of life. And I think it was D.L. Moody, who was a great preacher in the Chicago area uh, back in yesteryear, but before the great fire, Chicago fire in 1871, he was involved in a whole bunch of endeavors. He promoted the Sunday school movement and the YMCA, and he conducted evangelism campaigns and meetings along with everything else that's involved with church work. And after the fire, he decided to focus on one primary endeavor, and that was evangelism. Now, now catch this, 1871, that's before there was TV, that's before there were you know, phones and the internet and posting on Facebook and all that. He focused his life on evangelism, and as a result, millions heard the gospel through his ministry. Wow. Millions. I mean, he was a Billy Graham of America before there was a Billy Graham. Paul said, this one thing I do. And here's kind of a convicting question, convicting to me. Do we have a one thing focus in our lives? Do we have a one thing focus in our lives? Paul said, I, this one thing I do. And you might say, well, Dave, that's a pretty tall order. I agree, that is a, a tall order. It takes great wisdom to discover why he still has us here on the planet, the specific work that he has in mind for us. And, and God still has a work that he wants to accomplish in our lives. Otherwise, he would have taken us home to heaven by now. We're here. How many of you are here? Can I see your hands? <laughs> you're, you're awake. Okay, we're still here. God hasn't taken us home yet. He has a work that he wants to use us for. Now, maybe we know what it is. Maybe we don't know what it is, but I, I trust that all of us here want to discover that work that God has us here for. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Now, like I said, it's a huge challenge to discover it, but I believe that we will discover that life work as long as we continue to be faithful in following and serving the Lord, step by step, day by day, Doing what the Lord calls us to do for that day, we will discover the reason why he has us on the planet. Now, the overarching uh, purpose for our lives, though, is not a great challenge to know what that is. Uh, it's what Paul said is his overarching purpose. It's what he says is, is the overarching purpose for every Christian. You guys follow me, have the same, follow my example, have the same purpose for your life that I have. And uh, that uh, is basically boils down to a rough paraphrase that Paul wanted to finish the race, the Christian race, strong. Uh, he wanted to win the prize. He wanted to win the award that was waiting for him in heaven. And how could he win? By knowing Christ, you know, we're getting back to what we've talked about a couple weeks ago, by knowing Christ better and better, by growing closer to Christ even when we suffer, and sometimes we know Christ better because we suffer, by daily putting his old life to death, his old man, living a crucified life, not living for self and for lust, 
by living the, by the resurrection of power of Jesus Christ. That's how you run the race. That's how you finish strong. And, and uh, he likened his life to that of an athlete. And some people believe that Paul had been uh, to the Olympics. Wait, the Olympics were in Rome. Well, some years they were held in Ephesus, and Paul was in Ephesus for three years of ministry, and he used the athletic metaphor so often in his writings. Some people believe that maybe he personally witnessed the Olympics in his day. Um, Paul had uh, four favorite metaphors that he kept on coming back to. One was architecture, an example of that is we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Another uh, is uh, the military metaphor. It, uh, Paul described the Christian pa- uh, battle were to put on the full armor of God. But, but another metaphor he kept back, coming back to was agriculture. You reap what you sow, right? But he kept on coming back to the athletic metaphor. And uh, we are runners in a race, and we run to win. When athletes compete, they, divest, divide, they get rid of all of the distractions, all of the heavy weights that slow them down. Uh, they specialize in their sport. They put all their energies, all their focus into their event. Uh, they know that they can't succeed. They can't win the prize by trying to do everything. Um, they have to specialize in one thing. You see, don't, they, they don't compete in the long jump and the high jump and the pole vault, and they don't throw the javelin or the discus or the shot put, or they don't run into the 100-yard you know, hundred, hundred, uh, race. They, they pick one event, and they focus entirely on that. They specialize. Now, the writer to the Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. He said, Therefore... Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Stay in the race. Stay encouraged. Keep on running. That's what the author to the Hebrews is is saying. Sprint to the finish. Put everything into it, every nerve and fiber and breath and strain and agonize. And when people are in a sprint, they're leaning forward. It's almost like they could trip and fall on their face. They try to uh, reach that finish line in record time. You know, Olympics are coming up, I guess, not too long from now. You know, and people train for, the, for the, their sport for years and years and years and years. Now, this is obvious. I've got to say it anyway. We cannot coast into the finish line. Can't coast. It's a no-coast zone. It's a sprint zone that we're in. You know, a lot of times Bruce will say if anyone who's under 70 can go to children's church or whatever. And, uh, you know, we have a number of people who are 70 or older in our congregation. You know what? 
We're in the sprint zone. We can't coast. You know, you think, oh, I've, I'm retired. I've been retired for a number of years. I can just can't. No, not in the Christian life. You can't coast. You know, I heard about a guy in a bicycle race who was uh, coming to the finish line. And uh, he was way ahead of the others. And he looked behind him. He saw how far the people were behind him. And he raised his hands in victory before he got to the finish line. And guess what happened? He crashed. And he did not finish. But Paul said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on that finish line. I'm not going to look behind me or around or anything. I'm, I'm focused on finishing well and finishing strong for the Lord. You know, I heard many years ago that there are a lot of preachers who said, I want to burn out rather than rust out. You know, that's, there's a lot of truth in that. And that's true not just for preachers, but for every believer. Paul is basically saying, I'm not going to look back. Can you imagine? Now, do not do this at home. Okay, but could, could you imagine if we had a race and every one of us were to race around the perimeter of the sanctuary in here, but we were racing backwards and we weren't looking where we were going? No, that would be a disaster. That's a recipe for America's Funniest Home Video, I think. We're not going to try that. But, uh, you know, we, we, we have to keep on looking at the goal and, and pressing forward. And that's what Paul was saying, that that was his aspiration in life. How many of you, when you drive your car, continually look in the rearview mirror? Don't raise your hand for this one. <laughs> no, we look out the windshield. We look forward to where we're going. We don't constantly look in the rearview mirror. You know, uh, one definition, right? I was a little reluctant. I was a little reluctant to use this. That's my disclaimer here. I don't mean to offend anyone here, but one definition of being old is that you look back more than you look ahead. Now, if that is true, Paul was never old because he didn't look back. He looked forward. He kept looking ahead. And Paul was saying, and this is kind of a rough paraphrase of of the literal Greek, but he is basically saying, I deliberately forget what's behind. I've, it doesn't mean that he literally forgot the stuff, but, but uh, he, you know, he went through a lot of trials. He went through a lot of persecutions. Those probably got indelibly imprinted on his brain. But I think he was saying, I continually to choose not to let my past interfere with my future. I'm not going to let my failures interfere with my future. I'm going to press ahead. I'm not going to even let my successes in the past interfere with my future. Because sometimes success can make us complacent. People can rest on their laurels. They can say, oh, I've done enough. I've served the Lord enough. And Paul said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that I have accomplished enough for the Lord. There's still more of the race ahead of me. And I'm going to keep on racing, and I'm going to keep on putting every ounce of energy and effort into it, and that's my complete and full focus, and I'm going to finish strong by the grace of God. That was his attitude. And uh, there's a prize waiting for me in heaven, 
a crown of righteousness. Paul wasn't running for just a flimsy little laurel wreath that as, a, as time went by, you know, it would dry out and it would get brittle and it crumble and fade away. That's not what he was running for. He was running for the crown that's in heaven and a crown of righteousness. And, and you know what? It isn't just Paul that's running for a crown. It's for every believer there's a crown waiting for us. He said in 2 Timothy 4.8, he said, There is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Now catch this. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There's a crown of righteousness waiting for each and every one of us in heaven. But we're <laughs> to run the race. Keep running, keep on living for the Lord, keep on serving the Lord. Now, some believers are burdened and weighed down and they're held back from moving forward by the things that have happened to them in the past. Their regrets uh, get in the way, restrain their forward progress. Their past traumas get in the way. And, and uh, you, you know, we all have had past traumas. You all had things that people have said or done to us that still, when we think about it, bring us pain. But you know what the literal translation of the word forgive means? It means to let go. That's what it means to forgive. I let go of that. In the past, we've used an illustration talking about worries. And uh, I believe it's uh, Amish... Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, who in their worship services would put their hands up like this in prayer and worship service, and they say, okay, these represent my burdens. These are the things that are weighing me down. And then at a certain point, they would turn their hands like this, and they would just put it all in God's lap. Well, in the same way, the things that have caused us pain in the past the hurts and the traumas and all that, sometimes we need to let those go. And, and sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to forgive. And I'm going to, you know, this, this person that hurt me, I'm, I'm just going to put this person into God's lap. But we hang on to it. We close our fists. We don't really let go. We don't let, we don't really forgive. Let it go. Let it go. Now, um, I believe we could trust God to do the right thing with all the people who've hurt us, all the, all the pain that we've gone through. We, we give it to God. We give them to God. I believe we can trust God to do the right thing with those people and with those situations. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, we break the power of the past by living for the future. And that's what Paul was saying. I'm going to live for the future. I'm straining forward. I'm, I'm, and it's not like he had a horrible past as, as a Christian, but he did go through a lot of strain. He did go through a lot of persecutions and a lot of pain. But he said, I'm, I'm letting go of that, and I'm straining ahead. And I'm, I, you break the power of the past by... Living for the future. You know, there's a person in the Old Testament who's a great example of this. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. The story of 
Joseph, Joseph had so many things that happened to him that were totally uh, unfair and unjust. You know, his own brothers plotted to kill him. But at the last minute, they changed their mind and sold him into slavery just so they could get a few dollars ahead, get a little bit richer. And he ended up in Egypt, as you know the story, and he was bought by a man named Potiphar, and he served, Joseph served Potiphar well, but Potiphar's wife falsely accused him, and where did he end up? He ended up in prison. His circumstances gave him every reason to become bitter, to become a shriveled soul. You know, when we don't let go, what happens? We become shriveled inside. And he, he you know, you think about Jay, you think about Joseph, you know, did, did the story end up this way? Yeah, Joseph just couldn't get over his grudges and his pain, and he never forgave, and so God didn't use him anymore. No, that's not the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph was that he let it go, he forgave, and God used him in a powerful way. And towards the end of his life, the famous words that he said to his brothers are recorded in Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. And this was after... Um, you know, Jacob, the father, passed away. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to, to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Through all the trials and all of the twists and turns of his life, Joseph discovered the reason why he was put on the planet. And uh, he saw how God's hand was guiding him all the way. And instead of growing bitter, he became better because he let go. He forgave. And because he got better, the people around him got better. And he finished the race strong. He uh, sprinted to the end, and he received the prize. One thing, focus. This one thing I do, I don't look behind. I look straight ahead, and I'm going to run. We need to let go of our painful past. We, don't, we need to make sure it doesn't hold us back. Uh, we have a, each one of us has a prize in heaven, and uh, I, I need to be very clear. We're not running the race to earn salvation. That's a gift that is already ours. That's freely given to us through faith. But what we're running for is to receive the rewards that God will give to those who live well and serve well because they are saved. We're running to the finish line of hearing our name called in heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant.
God will reward his faithful servants. So let's press on. Let's press forward. Let's finish strong. Let's keep running. Let's sprint to the end. And uh, who knows? It might not be long until we were with the Lord. You just never know. But keep on running each and every day that you're here on the planet. Um, thank you for the amens. And may God give us the grace to, to finish the race strong. You know, I think of a story that Cliff told. I didn't have this in my notes, but Cliff has told this story more than once. Um, Alan and Barbara King were his, uh, his father and mother-in-law. And Barbara King was church secretary many years ago, but uh, towards the end of her life, she got cancer. And then the way Cliff says, and then she got cancer again, a different kind of cancer, and then another kind of cancer. And each time she'd get that news, she said, well, I guess the Lord has something he wants to teach me. She had her eyes on the, on the finish line. She didn't cry and bitterly complain and say, poor me. She wanted to serve and glorify Jesus Christ no matter what came into her life to finish the race strong. And you probably know of other people, other believers who have served the Lord and they finished the race strong. They kept on going. And may God allow each and every one of us to be part of that great army of finishing the race strong.